0: Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello
1: everyone, welcome to another episode of the Tej Talks Podcast. On today's show, we have Richie Miller. And this project actually surprised me because I've read about it. I've seen it, Uh, not in person, but I forgot just how incredible the figures are. No money in, all money out. Three million RICS value, 48-bed HMO in Student Central, plus the freehold, which is now two commercial units. This is about 10 grand a month in, in income. That's the number that everyone aims for. Everyone always puts on their goal sheets. And this is from one property with no money left in it. It's worth it. I, honestly, I've just recorded this podcast and I have to say, it is a really good one. This deal is amazing. How Ricky kind of progressed, the speed he used, the resilience. You know, there's so many bits in here that we should all be taking notes from and learning from. And also this deal, by the way, was on the market. Yeah, it was. it was on the market, you know, for 18 months. <laughs> so deals are out there. If you haven't, by the way, go on Amazon, get my books. I've got two of them. You, you may not aware, be aware. Just type in Tech Talks into Amazon and come to the property event. It's the second Thursday of every month. I am recording this in December. So if we're in another lockdown, 5.0, then we won't be holding it. But second Thursday of every month. See you there. Richie, welcome to the Tech Talks podcast.
0: Thank you. Nice to be here.
1: Now, you know, just before we went live with this podcast, you kind of explained to me you know, your trajectory and property and then how you kind of went yeah. from what most people would say is the normal sort of safe uh, kind of way to start into an absolute beast of a project in yeah. many, many ways. And, you know, we're really going to dig into that project to show people how it works and what it is and, and the scale of it. But before we get to the monster mm. HMO,
0: um,
1: what were you doing before property? And then what triggered something in you and what got you into property?
0: Yeah, so um, I left the army earlier this year um, after a 14-year career in the military. Um, When I got married five, six, I need to get this right, six years ago, I think it was almost, um, life priorities started changing and I thought about the future properly for the first time and started looking at the pension that was on offer with the army and the lifestyle and career I was having with the military. And then our children arrived four years ago, and life definitely changed when they came and priorities and thinking about the future and stuff. Um, and it was about that time that my dad um, was retiring when he was a civil servant out in Germany after his own military career, and they were moving back to the UK um, and they didn't have their own house in the UK, so he went on Amazon, bought Amazon's top three books on how to buy a property, and one of those was Property Magic by Simon mm. Zucchi. So he gave that to me to read after because he said it was the best of the three in his opinion. Um, And that was the first personal development sort of stuff I'd ever done before. I always thought it was a bit pink and fluffy and didn't really work, but I had no experience of it. And that was just an assumption. Um, And it opened my eyes to what was possible. Um, I did my best to apply the principles and bought a three-bed house is my first ever property i'd always known property was a good thing to do because it's good for your pension and stuff but i just never got around to it with some deployments with the army and moving around lots life just got in the way and i wasn't really thinking about it i've had some savings and i used those savings to buy this three-bed house um, it's being repossessed and it's cost about six thousand pounds to do a light refurb just tarting it up really making it look pretty again um and within 12 months it was. I bought it for 77, 78,000 and it was valued at 109,000 within 12 months, um, just after a 6K light refurb. So I extended the mortgage. In, if I'd refinanced to a new product, it would have cost 2,000 in fees and solicitors and stuff, and it would have released 10 or 12,000 pounds. But instead, I spent ninety five pounds on a desktop valuation with Halifax who I bought it with, and they extended the mortgage and they released twenty seven and a half thousand um I think all in I was at twenty two twenty three thousand all in so I got all my money back out plus a couple of thousand and I still owned a property with some equity in there and it was a it's a repayment mortgage so the monthly cash flow was not really anything at all to talk about but it was positive um and I quite like that. I thought, I want some more of this. Um, so si- eventually signed up to do Simon's Etch's Mastermind program. Um, and I'm really jealous and envious of the people who had amazing years and did loads of stuff and went from zero to hero. That wasn't my journey. It's taken a couple of years to get to where I am now. Um, we moved house a couple of times and we had our first. Elvis was born um, during the Mastermind year. Um On that course, I managed to get to oh got yeah, managed to get two rent to rent apartments that I used for service accommodation short term letting stuff um I then raised money from friends and family and bought my first proper investment property a very tired six bed student h m o um I was going for cash flow, so I wanted to replace my salary as quickly as possible so I could replace my army salary and get out of the army as quick as I could. So I went for rent-to-rent SA because it's little money down and it was high cash flow. Um, And it worked, but I was going for fully hands-off. So I had a manager fully running these couple of properties for me, which works. And they were positive cash flow, but they weren't predictable. Um, Over a 12-month period, they were profitable, but... A really good month was two and a half, three thousand pounds in profit. A bad month over winter, I was down a thousand pounds with paying the rents and utilities and stuff. Um, So I didn't like the unpredictability of it. And I was finding it difficult to get properties to stack up with paying management fees because a lot of them stacked up if I was doing it myself. Uh, But moving around with the army, young family, and a full time job and stuff, I didn't have time to do it. Um, So, yeah, because we moved around so often. So that's why I moved on to HMOs. Um so yeah, I bought my first one and it was a very tired six bed, one bath student one. Um
1: you say six bed was. and one bath?
0: Yeah, six bed and one bath.
1: I mean, I know <laughs> students can be a bit rough, but <laughs> like yeah. that is yeah. And they, and there were students like living in it recently or?
0: Was it. Yeah. I, I bought it with vacant possession. So we bought it, I bought it in September, October and I got it with vacant possession. So he kicked so the previous guy kicked out all the tenants and I started a back to brick refurb immediately. Um, to yeah, up, up the property quite a bit. Um,
1: and, you know, you, you say this, so you started off with the kind of smaller standard sort of, know by that we all kind of maybe do or want to get in with Mm. what made you specifically then go i've done one let me go straight into hmos which are you know a six playlist but you know more complex more soil stacks on building regs fire there's a lot more complexity what made you one want to do it two what gave you the confidence to
0: do it i wanted the cash flow i wanted the income it would have taken a lot of single lets to get the cash flow I get from the six bed. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't have that money. So I'd rather spend the money, the money to buy two or three single lets would have got me the, um, the six bed, rather than, but then the cash flow would have taken seven or eight single lets to get the same cash flow. So it was a, that was more expensive than one single let. the returns are much higher. So that's what attracted me to it. And then the knowledge and the confidence and the network from the mastermind course is what gave me the confidence to do it. Um, every, everything you do is a is a risk. If you don't know what you're doing, it's a gamble. If you've got some education and you you, you, yeah, you try and think you know what you're doing, you can mitigate those risks, and it then becomes a calculated risk rather than a gamble. You can mitigate them where you can.
1: You said if you know what if you.
0: If, you, if, you said if if you don't know what you're doing, it's a yeah. gamble and it's going to work or it's not going to work, and there's no control over it. If you've got some education, and you know what you're doing, ideally got some experience, it becomes a calculated risk, and you know what you're doing, and you can decide whether it's worth doing or not based on that education and experience that you've got.
1: I love that, because it is all a risk. But, yeah. uh, you know, I think what we don't, do as property investors maybe because you know safe as houses and all this stuff and like we don't actually think well yes everything we're doing is a risk taking that mm. investor risk buying that show, risk working with that. <laughs> everything is a risk but it's yeah. like, the way you said that was so perfect because it borders the line of a gamble when you mm. don't know what you're doing and like I had some guy speak to me in, um in, in, in like a consulting session he goes yeah Ted what if I just go into it blindly what what if i I just like um do it blind like you know yeah find a builder find a house and i was like well then you're doing it blindly you know because you wouldn't drive your car blind um Hmm. you wouldn't do heart surgery blind uh you wouldn't even eat your dinner you know with a blindfold (laughs) on so like i think that is a really really important point that people need to think about is like where are you sitting on that scale kind of like a speedometer are you gambling or are you risking and you know what you said there was you're the mastermind right the right people around you mm-hmm. to support you give you the right knowledge and say hey actually you are on the right track now yeah for people starting out there's you know it's a minefield of education masterminds mentorships it's it, yes. it's so difficult yeah any advice or tips for people starting out about how they can find someone or a company that you know is trustworthy and yeah, I suppose top tips for getting educated and finding someone or something to help you.
0: Yeah, it was twenty late 2016, early 2017 when I first started looking at this. And the main providers at the time were Simon Zucchi and Mastermind, Rob Moore and Progressive, and Paul something with Touchstone. Paul mm-hmm. Smith, is it with Touchstone? They were the three big providers at the time. I did a bit of research in all of them Google kiggled all all three names behind them and checked them out and stuff and spoke to the offices um, and checked out websites and things. And Simon's sort of morals and the way he did it resonated with me the most. Um, I know people who are course junkies, got friends who are course junkies and they do course after course after course, but don't take any action. I've also known some people who've never done any kind of education and they've built up multi-million pound portfolios and living the dream. They've just done it through hard work and learning as they go. Everyone is starting their own race and everyone's going to a different finish line. No one is the same, so you can't really compare. I know people who think doing those kind of courses is a waste of money and they regret doing it. Worst mistake of their life, they got nothing from it and regret doing it. Um, for me personally, it changed my life. It started on the journey I'm on now. I've literally changed my life with leaving the army and where I am now personally and financially and everything. It's amazing. I'm a different person after a couple of years. Um, So it's it's really worked for me, but it's not for everybody. So I think it's a personal decision about whether you go for it or not, because it's a lot of money um, to do it.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, it it kind of takes time, you know, not to rush into anything, you know, run to the Mm. back of the room, you know, we've only got one offer today. It's, you know, yeah, there are some deals. In life, and some are time dependent, but I think I'd rather pay a little bit more, given myself the time to think about it. Because yes, yeah, you know, you might think, oh, I need it, I need it, but actually, in three to six months of doing it yourself, you might be smashing it. Or yeah. I speak to people like this; it's a year later, and you're like, yeah, I haven't bought a house. I have put in two offers, and I don't know what. Um, and I'm like, <laughs> something needs to change. It. So, yes, it, it's definitely very personal. Um, yeah. And of course, like you said, it has a cost. So, you know, you did this this um, buy-to-let with a quite a light refurb and a very nice Mm. revaluation. Yeah. When it came to the HMO, um, you know, how did that go? Was that sort of straightforward like the first one, or was it more of a learning Um, experience?
0: Yeah, definitely a steeper learning curve. Um, So I paid the asking price of three hundred twenty-five thousand for a six-bed licensed HMO vacant possession in an article four area in Sheffield. Um, the bricks and mortar value was three, four, five, based on an identical house a bit further down the road that wasn't an HMO and sold as a, as a family home. So for me, it was a little bit below market value on bricks and mortar and with one bathroom and one toilet, and it was gracing 24,000 a year in income. Um, I was confident I could turn the property around and, significantly improve it so did a refurb put planning in and did a two-story extension to the back I kept it as six bedrooms I made all six rooms on suites um, changed the tenant type from students to professionals after doing some research on the area and stuff um, the refurb was forty thousand 35 forty thousand pound over budget and oh, uh, oh wow okay yeah and took three months longer than it should have. So it's a bit of a scrabble a couple of times. Uh, the builder told me on Tuesday he was, him and his team were walking off site on Friday unless they were paid the next chunk of money. Um, no fault of theirs. They weren't doing anything wrong with making mistakes, but there there's a structural issue that needed fixing and just things take more expensive, or are more expensive and take longer than you think they're going to. Um, eventually found all the money. Um, all in purchase costs and refurb was just shy of 250000 18 of that was my money and then 230 odd was raised from family, friends and people I met through networking and through mastermind and stuff. Um, it was revalued at 550,000. I managed to increase the internal floor space by 33%. Um, got super generous planning um, and an HMO license increased from six to eight people, even though it's a six bed to so get double occupancy in any two rooms And the gross income increased from 24,000 a year up to just shy of 47,000 a year. So very nearly doubled it. Um, And all of that let me get the high GDB. I can only get a 70% loan to value on the refinance rather than 75%. So that left a bit of money in, Um, but it released 150,000. So all of my money stayed in and some family money. Very patient and friendly towards me, which is nice of them that stayed in there. Um, but all of my sort of non relative investors were paid back, fully paid back with all their interest. Um, yeah,
1: wow. I mean, it's amazing to you know, we see a house and it's got a structure, and we think, Oh, yeah, you hmm. could do an extension, you could do a dormant, but you increase it by 33% and double the rental income. That is like yeah. that's huge because it's the same house that I could have bought, for example, and said. Okay, well keep it as it is or make it into a family. But you came in and you basically took the same asset but built it differently and and I suppose created it differently, which is Mm. you know, I suppose when you're starting out, and maybe in your case came from people on the mastermind, kind of you know, putting thoughts in your head or kind of saying, Hey, have you tried this, have you tried that? But it makes all the difference in the world because you Mm. and you doubled the rent. I mean, what what else do I need to say? Like, (laughs) you know, that kind of and the valuation you know yeah it, it was unbelievable lived. of course you still had challenges with it you yeah. had the builders you had you know so any structural issues which again this, this was your second ever property right
0: yeah and I was living um well I moved house once during that time so we moved from Surrey to Wiltshire um during all this going on and the property was up in Sheffield so I, was, I visited once a month at best once every couple of months
1: wow I mean you know there's there's a lot here because <laughs> you're doing yeah. it from afar and you're having plenty of issues you're doing a pretty big build at least for your yeah. second um property. yeah,
0: yeah. yeah um,
1: huge. you've got a structural issue to deal with I mean, how did you deal with so in it personally in that situation, I would really get anxious with the lack of control because you're yes. far away you're on site only once a month. Did you feel that and if so, how did you deal with it
0: yes <laughs> um Everyone thinks that. Well, I know I can do everything better than everybody else because I'm me and I'm awesome. Obviously, <laughs> um, it's hard to trust other people to do stuff for you um, and to yeah to trust them and let go. I think my army training and being an army officer and commanding people in operations and training and stuff helps with that because I can't do everything myself. I have to give my orders, give the instructions, and then trust the people to go and do their job. You have to check um, and that 's what the sort of oversight management part of it was, but you trust people to do their job and do what they say it's all about the relationship and communicating um, so I've got a strong team of people I trust and worked with for a couple of years now up in Sheffield and this was at the start of that journey um, so the sort of relationships forged in fire as it were, um, dealing with all the issues and stuff and it was stressful it it's easy to look at the numbers and think wow that's an amazing deal, and the photos up before and after such a difference and the numbers and stuff that's that's brilliant that's amazing well done but there were sleepless nights it was stressful anxious um not quite tears but some stressful phone calls us speaking to people about i've got this project it's gone wrong can I have some money um i promise i'll pay you back basically um and it, it works i managed to raise the money and do it all um i don't get scared by the numbers. Um, I'm. I've got, I, I look at the big vision and the picture and go, let's go, let's go do it. This is where we're going and stuff. And then the team I have with me, they're all about the detail and well, what kind of door handles you're going for, Let's what order the trades need to come in to do this next stage and stuff. And so they do the project management detail a bit for me. Um, it was hard and stressful, but I learned a lot and enjoyed the process looking back on it.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the trust thing is is... It's a hard one because I think, mm. at least for me anyway, I, I trust my solicitors, I trust my broker, I trust anyone in the no offense, here, but the professional team yes. I yep. trust. Yeah. My builders, okay, now I've got one <laughs> out of hundreds I've spoken to who, yeah, I trust fully. I don't even need to talk to him. You know, yep. I'm doing a project now. I don't want to talk to him until Friday. <laughs> yeah. I love him. Yeah. But I don't talk to him Friday. Great. <laughs> you know, with builders, Because of that trust, like you said, is forged in fire. Mm. Did you kind of, I know you sort of briefly mentioned it before, but did you struggle with that at the beginning? Did you have a project manager? Were you doing it trade by trade, like specifically with builders? Because a lot of newbies are going to be scared, potentially rightfully so, um, Mm. of working with builders, especially at a distance. Any particular tips, software, structures, anything you did to ease that? Yeah, the
0: builder was recommended by the architect's. He was recommended by my letting agent, um, a lot of recommendations. So I met the builder before um, with the architect, and we spoke about the project, my vision and stuff. And the builder was wanting to up his game and start investing himself. And he viewed this project as something he could learn from for himself because it wasn't just a bog standard conservatory extension or putting in a couple of en-suites. It was a significant change to the building increasing it quite a bit and up in the standard of everything. Um, I did some eco-friendly stuff in there as well with the ventilation system and a couple of other bits. So I made it into a decent house and he could see the, the vision and bought into that, which made a difference. And he was sort of the lead contractor. So he dealt with all the small trades and stuff and he sort of did the project management. And then the agents I used to manage stuff, they were my eyes and ears on the ground. And so I got them to go and do weekly visits for me. Um, and then I popped up every month, every six weeks or so, I guess it was. And have a look around it.
1: I think that's a good point there. You know, you kind of, and I think this is really important is that you said, I think it was the agent and a few others kind of popped in for you and were kind of your eyes on the ground. Mm. That is so important because, you know, people can send you pictures of any work that's been done and yeah. well, even the most expensive iPhone 15, whatever the hell we're on now yeah. is never going to show you if the plaster is smooth or not. Right. It's, yeah. is never going to show you what's behind the photo or if a paint job is done correctly. I've seen plenty of pictures. I'm like, Oh wow. You get there and you're like, this is trash. Yeah. Did you paint it with your face? Like, what is this? So mm. it's really important to have humans there physically, because I think also, Maybe intentionally or not, the builders then sort of know. Okay, we can't really get away with stuff because we've got people here doing this. So, and you know exactly what you said. I say to people: build your network, go to networking events there, get referrals, have Mm -hmm. people whether they're paid, whether it's part of some value exchange, who will go and check on the properties for you. Yeah. So you know, once you did this property, you know, did it all tenant out okay, and it's kind of been running smoothly ever since.
0: Yeah. there's five rooms that got king-size beds, um, and one wow. room that's got a double. And the one with the double was empty for the first 12, nearly 15 months. Wow. Um, and it was after reading an article in in one of the YPNs, um, I, cha- I got the agents to change the marketing and the way they manage it. Um, the way it's typically set up, the power sits with the landlord, uh, and I wanted to change it so... The perception of the power was with the tenant. So I no longer um, do a fixed tenancy. It's a one month rolling from day one. I offer a rent back guarantee. If they move out in the first month, they get the first month, the rest of the remain the re- remaining first month's rent paid back. Um, and if they pass a higher level of tenant referencing and stuff, there's no deposit to pay. Um and doing that and describing the HMO as a home rather than a room in the adverts, um, it made a difference. Um, within a month of those changing, we had, a, had several viewings and one of those was successful. And since then, that was all before COVID. And then since then, it's been fully tenanted, um, quite a high, reasonably high turnover. I think five, four or five of the people have left over the last 18 months during job changes and stuff for COVID, but none of the tenants have missed any rental payments or asked for rent holidays or anything. Wow, well, um, I yeah.
1: think that, that says a lot actually about kind of what we said earlier about trusting. You know, obviously there's a level of trust with our agents, with our team, <clears throat> but you had to come in and make that decisive step and say, actually, hold on a minute. this is my property. What do yep. we need to do differently here? Whereas most agents, as good as they are, will say, yeah, we've had an empty room for a while, but it's not really costing us. It's not really making yeah. us, but it ain't really costing us. So anyways, mm-hmm. we've got easier stuff we can do. Everyone does it. It's, you run a business, you want the part of least resistance to the most yes. result, fine. Yeah. And I think that's really important because some property investors want to, oh, totally hands off, let the agent deal with it. And my agent's great. And it's like, yeah. yes, but there is a level like Richie's saying here that, you know, you had to get involved and make that happen. Yeah. And, you know, the next thing you said about the turnover. So, I think it was five. You said in in eighteen months. Do you hmm. think that's purely COVID, or do you think that is a sort of HMO, a student HMO in general?
0: Well, this, this one's now professional. Professionals in there. Okay. Um, I one left because of a relationship getting more serious and wanted to move down to London to be closer to a boyfriend. Um, two people had jobs change. One moved home because of COVID, um, and it was cheaper for them to move home um but even though all those changes none of them so i suppose that one was linked to covid but the rest of them were just sort of life and job stuff that was going on um it's it's the season of life for most people living in an hmo it's they want to save some money and it's cheaper to live in shared accommodation than it is renting a a one-bed flat or a studio to yourself than if you're in a relationship or getting a bit older or more money and you want a bit more privacy, then you upgrade from shared living to living on your own or maybe one housemate um, rather than five housemates. So I think it's just the season of life for people as it just changes for them.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I think potentially, and correct me if I'm wrong here, the type of tenant in a HMO is more likely to have these sort of changes and yeah. moving out more often than not, would you say?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And then the, the, no fixed abode as such, there loose and free, as it were, so they can move around <laughs> where, where, where they fancy, where the parties are and where life is. Um, and, yeah. yeah,
1: going where the parties are, that, that, that sounds like a bit of me. Um, but I, I think that highlights uh, a difference here between single lets, which I love and I talk mm. a lot about, and HMOs, which is, yeah, like you said, cash flow. Um, yeah. I'm never getting anywhere near that in a single let. That's a fact. It's just not happening, right? Yeah. Um, from At least from one building anyway. But there's more management there's potentially more void periods or yes. longer void periods. There's, I suppose, a bit more of a headache and it's less passive because you're like, oh, they're out. Okay, who's in? Yep. Back on. It's just a lot of stuff. And so for people listening, you know, when you're considering, oh, should I do HMO versus buy to let? There's loads of things to consider, but hmm. make sure you do consider the turnover because if I compare that to my single lets, I've had tenants there for as long as I've had enough, for two years plus. Yep. Um, I know that they ain't going to move out until probably till i'm an old an old man Some yes. of them, i know <laughs> that like you know it's it's so so minimal so just something for people to think about hmo is great cash flow all this stuff but you know take a kind of balanced view on it and yep. Richie, when you did this hmo you've done one hmo one kind of single let or buy to let you've kind of experienced both worlds yeah what sort of position were you in then were you thinking oh wicked cash flow but Obviously a bit more management, happy with it or like where are you going then? Because you tasted two of the main kind of strategies.
0: Yes. I wanted to carry on with HMOs. Um, I reckon I'd need three, maybe four HMOs of this sort of level of cash flow and stuff to leave the army um with a comfortable salary. Um so yeah, salary replacement. So yeah, I was still focused on HMOs and high cash flowing. It's frustrating because it had taken I completed on the HMO the month after the mastermind course finished Um, and then it took a year to get all the work done and get it tenanted with one room empty. So it wasn't, wasn't one of the envious stories of other people who buy it sit within six months. It's fully tenanted and cash flowing and stuff. It was a bit longer than that for me, Um, but yeah, it was great. So I'll do more of those, but it was slow and a bit frustrating how slow it was.
1: Mm. And then from that point, onwards uh what was your you know were you looking need one more cash flow were you looking yeah. for a type of hmo or a particular type of project next
0: no i was just looking for another hmo um, i said to my managing agents so the managing agents um the owner of it's an independent letting agency up in sheffield his sister used to live with my wife and they lived and worked together in london years ago that's my connection to sheffield and i went up to sheffield and he helped me find my three bed. I then found this six bed through doing landlord letters. Um, And as this was finishing or a couple of months, about two months, three months away from being ready to get tenants and stuff in, I was raising my eyes and looking at the future and what was coming next. I said to him, "Um, it's been hard, but it's been good. I've enjoyed doing this. I want lots more of these. Do you know any more that are available through the agency or anything? And he laughed at me and said, what about an HMO on steroids? <laughs> I laughed back at him and said, doesn't matter how big it is, it doesn't matter how much money it is, I've got the network and the knowledge to make it work because that's what Simon actually tells us to say. So he downloaded the sales PDF for um, the Marples, the 48-bed HMO. I had to change my pants and look looked at it properly and said, yeah, I can do that easily. Um, so he showed me rounds booked a viewing and went around and had a look at it um and I thought yeah I could, there's something here this is exciting let's, let's try and do this um so that's how the journey started for doing the marbles
1: and i mean you know it takes i suppose confidence uh belief <laughs> in yourself and belief in your network to kind of say that and then actually be cool with it especially when the agent pulls out some bigger and you're like um yeah. okay it didn't uh, okay I, I meant big well that big um were you I suppose when you went and saw it and saw the size of it mm. were you daunted by it were you kind of like um I need to figure this out
0: yeah I was but I was more excited I could see the potential and the vision for what it was going to be and that one deal was a life-altering deal if I could do that one big one I could leave the army straight away um, in my mind, it was going to be simple buy it, increase the rents, and do it after a light refurb. And life would be easy, you know, cash flow really well for me. Um wasn't quite that simple, but the, the principle was there and it's worked. Um, yeah.
1: So, what remind me, what was the building when you went and saw it? What was its existing use?
0: So, it was a leasehold 48 beds HMO. Um, the ground floor was commercial units and not part of it. And then the Marples is floor one to five, sorry. Um, Floors one to four were 11 bedrooms with a communal kitchen, living room on each floor. And then the fifth floor is four bedrooms with a communal living room kitchen. Um, The council have given it four HMO licenses, floors one to four. And the fifth floor is too small to have an HMO license. Um, It was students when I was viewing it and again agreed to buy it at the end of the summer. Um, with vacant possession, and I first saw it probably February, February 18, um, and bought it in no February 19, February March 19 was the first time I saw it, and completed the purchase on the 31st of August 19.
1: And why was the owner selling it?
0: So it's old, owned by an old boy in his 70s, and him and his business partner built up a massive portfolio and they basically don't like each other anymore. So they were getting divorced and they decided to sell a third of the portfolio, split the rest in half and go their separate ways. And this was one of five or six super HMOs that they put on the market at the same time to sell.
1: Wow. And, you know, this was, so you would have viewed it sort of just when lockdown The year
0: year before, sorry. So it's it's February, March 19, and lockdown was March 20, the first one. Oh, yeah,
1: of course. Yeah, okay. So when you were looking at this, did, I mean, did you have different ideas like, oh, we could convert it into blocks of flats? and Or did you kind of, or was the best thing to kind of keep it as it is, but obviously start again?
0: Yeah, I wanted high cash flow, no development experience other than the refurb of the six bed. So I just wanted to make it look good, like my six bed, raise the rents and have it for cash flow. Um, That was the main thing I was thinking of. But I was thinking that we could carve up the rooms and turn it into one, two, even three bed apartments across five floors and rent or sell um, all the different flats and apartments that are created.
1: Mm. And I mean that makes sense. What you're doing then—a lesson for everyone listening—is you're doing what you need to do for your goals. You're doing mm-hmm. what works for you and what works for your strategies and how you've done it and your approaches. I might do something different. Someone listening might do something different. Yeah. It is what it is. Something if the spreadsheet works, then you yeah, know the spreadsheet works. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, 48-bed HMO—it sounds like a—it sounds like a party. It just sounds like a halls of residence, basically, one yeah. big party house. Yeah. Um, and what kind of condition was it in?
0: It was old and tired. Um, the owners converted the building from commercial to residential when they bought it, 17-odd years before I bought it from them. And they, other than essential maintenance and health and safety stuff, they just ran it as a cash cow. Um, they had a very small mortgage, if any lending on it at all, by the time I bought it from them. They were charging cheap rents. It's a high street address in Sheffield. Um, it's within 150 metres of Sheffield Hallam main university building. It's closer than some stu- um, university home student accommodation to the uni. To the uni. Um, so, yeah, it was high, very high occupancy, a history of 100%, 95% occupancy because the rent was cheap, but it was old and tired. But it was big rooms and it was an awesome location, so they had no problems getting it rented and tenanted.
1: Hmm. And did the, I mean, did you have any competition in terms of other people viewing it and wanting to buy it? Like, was it, you know, did you have to beat other people to it or? Yeah. It'd
0: been on the market for 18 months. Um, Two sales had fallen through, so they were getting a bit motivated. Um, I went back up. Well, after my first viewing, I looked at it and said, I want it, but I had no money because the six bed was still going on and I had no money, zero personal money because it was all in the six bed so i have to raise all the money so i thought the easiest way was to get a jv partner um so at a pin meeting i met someone with a large saas pension who said they were interested in investing um he i met him the year before and as a trial he loaned me some money to do my six bed and i fully repaid him with interest on time um we got to know each other over six or seven months um so i said to him do you want to come and do this mega hma with me and he came on the first viewing to look around it, and we both got excited and wanted to do it and stuff. Um, we then arranged to meet the owners, and he couldn't make it. He had a, a business meeting or family meeting or something, so he couldn't come up to Sheffield on that day. He was based in Oxford, I think, um, near Oxford. So I went up on my own, met the owners. Um, the asking price was $1.8 million. Um, and we met in a Café Nero chatted for a little bit, um, got down to business and shook hands on 1.5 million. Um, Wow. Came out and phoned my JV partner and got really excited. And we started talking about it and stuff. And he phoned me up day or two later and said, bad news. Um, my SAS pension can't be used to buy student property, um, (sighs) which was a bit of a bummer. Um, I hadn't worked with SAS pensions properly before that, so I didn't know that, and he didn't know that either. So he then bowed out and had the decision, do I phone up the owners and say I'm withdrawing because my partner's got something else on and can't do it, or do I raise the money somewhere else somehow? Um, So that's what I did. So I got three JV partners, um, one of whom decided to leave a month before we bought it because the stress pressure of raising money and doing it all was a bit too much. So she decided to withdraw, um, no hard feelings, just wrong time of life for her and too much else going on. So she withdrew and that left me and two others. Um, they brought a hundred thousand pound each. Um, I put no money into this myself. Um, and then we raised the rest of the money from family, friends, and investors, um, to do it. Yeah.
1: And was there a deadline you had to raise it by or were they kind of open with the completion date?
0: Um, I wanted it vacant possession. So they said, you buy it over the summer. Otherwise, we're going to put students in there for September. So we're not sat in an empty property. while you buy it? Because they'd be messed around by two previous buyers. Hmm. Um, when you first look at, so 1.8 million purchase price means you need just over half a million as a 30% deposit. You then need stamp duty which working it out was almost £170,000. So you need 680k almost just to buy it, plus fees and all the other purchase costs and stuff. Um, My broker was clever, and he found a lender that would lend at the value, not the purchase price. Mm. And the valuation by Rick's valuer as part of the purchase process valued it at £1.8 So the lender took into account the £300,000 discount as equity towards the deposit. Mm. So we only needed 240,000 for a deposit. And by applying multiple dwelling relief on um, the stamp duty, it reduced it from 170 down to 65. So we needed just over 300k rather than 680k to buy it. So it's suddenly much more affordable and doable. When I put 250K into my six bed in total, putting 300 into this, it's not that big a jump up um, numbers-wise. So, yeah, we had 200 from my two JV partners, and then we raised the rest of the purchase money. We exchanged contracts on the 1st of July. um, and With that exchange, we got access to the building, There are a couple of students still in there for the summer and they were all leaving by the end of August. Um, So we had two months before we bought it to start the rip-out and start doing the refurb work. Purchased at the end of August, 31st of August, 30th of August, I think it was. Um, And then the plan was to be ready for the end of September when students were coming back. Um, But there were quite a few problems um, with the project manager on this one. We budgeted... 150k for the refurb with a 40k contingency, and that was going to be replacing four kitchens, painting and decorating throughout new soft furnishings, and adding some en suites and off suite bathrooms. Um, the final cost was 320,000 instead of 190, Ooh. so it's quite, yeah, quite a jump up. The I project- think it yeah
1: i want to i don't want to talk about that in detail but before we mm-hmm. get there because so casually with those numbers right because yeah. it's, it's it's obviously it's normal right when you do it like it's done yeah but the fact that you reduced how much you needed by almost a half um yeah. and you kind of said you know okay look yes i need to raise potentially 1.5 million or potentially less but I have not got the money, but I'm going to do it, rain or shine. Mm. Kind of, I don't know, entrepreneurial grit or resilience is what we all need because there could be plenty of deals that are in front of our faces or we can secure, but we don't have the funding for it. But yeah. like you said near the start, someone has it, you know, yeah. your auntie, your uncle, your mate, your postman. your Someone has it close to you. There's so much money close to us, right? Yeah. Um, That's the first thing is for people listening, you know, look at that resilience to just say, you know what? We're gonna go through with it. Like this is, you know, an incredible deal. And you got a super discount. Yeah. Secondly, you had the knowledge or your broker had the knowledge to say, hold on a minute, you're getting a big discount here. There mm. are some lenders that do on market value. Let's, you know, see what we can do here, which meant you had a huge reduction in the money you needed. Like there's quite a few things here that people listening again, if you're going in blindly or if you're going in not knowing and not with the right team. You know, your broker may not be aware of products like this because sometimes they're not available to all brokers. Yeah. Um. Or if they're not a development kind of specialist or experienced, they'll just be like, yeah, I just get a bridge and that's it. And (laughs) you know what I mean? Later you're like, "Uh, what about this product? So for people listening, you know, everything which you're saying is, you know, your network is so important to people around you, your education, your knowledge, you're knowing Mm. what you're doing in, in some way or the other combined with the resilience. So I just want to sort of add that on to what you were saying there so that people so it really reinforces it for people what you did there because it's that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah. and now you budgeted one ninety all in contingency yeah one
0: ninety including forty k contingency
1: and I mean that's a big contingency that's like just under a third. Yeah, I was
0: scared after my six beds because I had, <laughs> had, a, had a contingency of, I think, 10% for that. And that got blown in the first month and a half. Um, and then I had to raise an extra thirty, forty thousand 40,000 on top of that. So okay. I was going in hesitant. Sensible.
1: Yeah, sensible <laughs> then to, to increase it to this. Hmm. But you said it ended up costing £320,000. Yeah. Now, you kind of described it like it wasn't necessarily back to brick. It wasn't like you were, you know, totally ripping it to shreds and do it. Kind of sounded like you were updating it and upgrading it. Is that right? Yeah. So um that is a lot of money over budget. What happened?
0: So when we bought it, there were 21 bathrooms for 48 tenants. We increased the number of bathrooms from 21 up to 47. Um, and that was the main cost. The The rooms were on the outside of the building. Some of the rooms were ensuite, and one corner was the shared kitchen um, living room. Then in the middle of the building, there were six or eight sort of communal shower rooms that had quite a big floor footprint. Um, And what we did, we added a couple of ensuites to each floor, and we cut the communal bathrooms in half, creating two normal-sized shower rooms um shower toilet sink um and we allocated those to a room so each room is now a private on suite or it has a private off suite that your bedroom door key will unlock and you can leave it locked so no one else can use it if you want to um that was the main cost in theory it was simple um a bit of plumbing and so everything was there it was just adding to it and taking away some sinks that were in the in the bedrooms that weren't on suites replacing four kitchens and then some paint and soft furnishings the project manager we found um it was in it was about the second week of june that the owner said to us occupancy levels are really low when you can exchange you can have Access to the building so that you can um, start the refurb work. So that's great. We can get in and get a head start before we're paying mortgage, paying the utilities, and all of that stuff. So at three weeks' notice, we started finding a project manager. When we thought we had two months to find a project manager, we'd have to do it in three weeks. Um, we found a guy, very experienced, knew his stuff, um, but it turned out doing a project over five floors with up to 15, 20 people on site at a time was beyond his management and coordination skills. Um, I would trust him to do a five, six beds conversion or update or refurb because that's within his comfort zone and what he's done. But it was just beyond him doing the, the large organizing and managing the rip out went really well. Um, I've got a confession. I, hate diy i get stressed trying to change a light bulb um so it's not my skill set or expertise doing refurb stuff um but if it was me doing this i would have started ripping out on the top floor and ripping out all the old bathrooms and the old kitchen stuff at the top and working my way down um and speaking to people that seems quite sensible of what most people would do this guy started on the first floor Rip that out and started working his way up. Um, And the rip out went really well and went really quickly. And then it just got messy. There were 15 blokes on 15 trades on site, not just blokes, sorry, um, sat around doing nothing, being paid because there were no materials. And then other days they wouldn't, the people wouldn't come in because they weren't confident there'd be any work to do. Um, And we get a delivery and the project manager spent the day on his own humping and dumping a couple of tons of materials and new kitchens and stuff from the street up into the building because no one else turned up on site because materials arrived, but no people. And it was just getting quite frustrating and difficult. Um, we had a warning from the fire brigade about fire escapes being blocked and stuff. when they did a drop in inspection. Um, I did a couple of unannounced visits up to Sheffield and on one of those visits, I made the decision to let the project manager go. Um, and he was escorted from site then and there and left, called everyone who was on site together for a meeting, explained who I was because I hadn't met everybody and what I'd done and what was going to happen next. And then it took a couple of weeks to get a new team in because no one wanted to take over a half-done job that hadn't been done very well. And they had to go back and redo the seals and all the bathrooms that had been put in and a lot of the pipe work and stuff. Um, so it slowed us down considerably and it cost us a lot of money with the delays and having to go back and redo all the work and stuff. Um, and that was quite stressful, stressful in a different way compared to the six bed because there were three of us doing it now with my two JV partners. There were three of us trying to raise that extra additional funds three of us sharing the stress and three of us making the decisions. Um, so it's much easier from that point of view, but still sleepless nights and um, quite a long six or seven months doing that refurb.
1: I mean, yeah, I, I know exactly how you feel, not to that scale, but mm. the same kind of feeling of, and the worst thing is, is what you said there is that when no one wants to come in and, Builders will do any job, anything, yeah. yeah, I can do, I've done it 20 years, Mike. They'll do yeah. it, right? But if it's someone else's work, oh, my God, it just, it changes the, the yeah. like, everything. Um, Like, it's just, it's one of these things where it's like, it's like you've just said, I don't know, he who shall not be mentioned. You've just said something, and it's like, oh, blasphemy. Oh, yeah. no, no, can't touch it now. Like, oh, no, no. And, it, yeah. and I get it because it... <laughs> I mean, even if when you're paying them, it's like, oh, I just don't like... And so it makes it even harder. And actually, people have never done a refurb before. When you need someone to fix some crap, you'll realise mm-hmm. exactly what we're talking about. You'll just be yeah. like, ah, yes, which in said it. Um, and at that scale that you're doing, not every builder can do that. Nice. Um, not every trade, like individual trade will want to do that. Yep. Um, you're kind of in a position, and then you're like, oh, well, we've got to go to main contractors. They're charging VAT. They got, they're more expensive because they're like sort of official companies. I think mm. you know people want more money, but more money comes with more problems. Um, yes. And you know, just the stress I can <laughs> just imagine you going through on that scale far from home when you had a project manager who, you know, a PM is supposed to take it all off your hands. They're yeah. supposed to be great. They're supposed to know what they're doing. Um but that's I suppose really good reflection. And also like you said, you're trusting with less, but mm. this is a different animal um but actually something i've i've sort of missed there is you said i think this might be the second time you said it after the hmos you had to then go out and raise more funds because you'd obviously only raise enough for the original deal Mm. that's i mean when you were raising those funds and you're saying to people um we're having to raise it because you know something's gone wrong a lot of people are like oh well oh oh, is my money safe you know there's different barriers did you Mm find any of that was it harder or easier to kind of get that further investment
0: um if you're trying to borrow five ten twenty thousand pounds from family and friends and investors for a lot of people that's life savings or a significant amount of their life savings if you're trying to borrow fifty to a hundred thousand pounds the people you're having conversations with that's generally not their life savings and they've got that money to invest and spare. So it's a very different person you're dealing with at that. who has got that kind of spare cash to invest. They understand it from a more commercial point of view. They understand the risks and what you're trying to do and they can see it much better often because they've done it themselves or they've got experience in a different fields and they know what it's like running projects and stuff. So they, they understand the money better. It's a different conversation with someone who sort of speaks finances and money compared to someone who's just got life savings and a job, a nine to five job and helping you out. And they're amazing. And they saved my bacon a few times and kept me in business, but it's a different conversation with people when you're talking about borrowing most of their life savings for something you're doing or trying to change your life with. Um, so yeah, it's different conversations. You've got to be honest. You've got to be, it's sort of, It's a relationship. Um, It's not, hi, give me £50,000, I'll see you in nine months when I'm paying you back with your interest rates. You've got to build up the relationship and communicate leading up to building that trust to get the money and then keep them informed and updated when things go wrong because they always do and there's delays and stuff. Um, Yeah, that £50,000 I borrowed, I can't pay you back next month like I promised, it's going to be another four months. Um, Here's the interest we talked about when... I said these problems might happen. Um, letting you know as soon as I found out there's a problem. Um, is that okay? Or do you need your money back sooner than I can give it back to you? And if that's the case, let's see what we can do. Um, so yeah, just trying to find ways around it and work with people.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's, it's honesty, it's transparency, it's letting people know as soon as you can, keeping them updated, but also from the beginning, You know, like you said, they're letting them know that, look, this is planned to take X many months. Yeah. If it takes longer, which it might, then the money will be locked in and here's what happens then. Mm. Um, So how long did you plan for the refurb to take and how long did it actually take?
0: So we exchanged on the 1st of July 19 um, and the refurb finished on the 30th of January um 2020. And it should have been finished for the 1st of October. Um, okay. I mean, sorry. not bad not bad yeah it was it a was longer than we wanted it to be but it wasn't ridiculous yeah um, and then we were about 50 percent occupied late february early march just in time for lockdown to be called last year the first lockdown
1: and how did that affect your tenant turnover your rent your your occupancy
0: yeah so the original plan was to be tenanted well before christmas have a couple of months of cash flow in there as we refinanced and changed mortgage um, at Easter time 2020, repaid all our investors and then built up, well, yeah, and then just cash flowed from that point onwards as occupancy levels were high. Reality was all the lenders closed. Um, We had two mortgage applications in um, and they both got frozen. We'd had two because... um, we didn't have a track record. We weren't fully occupied. We were trying to refinance when we were 50% full and we didn't have track record of a couple of years of accounts or anything behind us. So it's a little bit more harder, riskier to get the mortgage. We had two applications in. They both got frozen and we couldn't move tenants in or out or anything during the first lockdown. So we were almost breaking even, a little bit under breaking even with the cash flow and the tenants we had in there and we couldn't refinance so it ended up being after Easter 2021 that we managed to get the remortgage done. So for a year, yeah, for, for a year, we had the investor's money for a year longer than planned. And we've struggled with tenancy o- occupancy levels for the last year and a half. It was September this year, a couple of months ago, the occupancy level went up above
1: 95%. Wow. I mean... Yeah. I think we all appreciate the reality there because it's not often mm. someone will say, look, you know, it's been shit basically. <laughs> yeah. No, basically. <laughs> yeah, And there's, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing to do about it because mm. it's not in your, like the, like the one time that something's not in our control and actually it has a huge impact. And, you know, keeping investors money for a year longer is something that none of us want to do. And it's something that some of people listening, your investors may not actually be comfortable with or may not, physically be able to do i had an investor once mm. he was like no has to be back because i've got whatever whatever yeah um so a few things to think about there for people doing this and also your exit was restricted like if mm. i mean if you were on a bridge saying you were paying 10 percent a year whatever it is you're yeah and you're uh, less than 50 percent occupancy you're bleeding every single yep. month yeah you are um and having to wait i mean d- during that time where like we said it's it's not, it's not in your control whatsoever. There's basically mm. nothing you can do. I mean, did you just have to kind of accept it? Like, was it just a case of accepting it or was it, yeah. know, it was mentally, was it difficult?
0: Difficult. It was difficult. In the two first two years of owning the building, we had three months where we made money from the rental income. Um, all the other months were a loss. Um, some of those losses were in a couple hundred quid. Some of them were a couple of thousand pounds. But we had to put money, the three of us had to put money into the business to keep it going during that time. Um, we were paying some investors monthly for their interests. Some of them were rolled up and being paid at the end when the capital was returned. We had to, We ra- so all in, all the purchase and all the refurb was $668,000. Um, so that's how much money we put into it. But then on top of that, we had to put an additional. We had to raise an additional 150 thousand because some of our investors had to have their money back. Um, so we raised one hundred and fifty k to replace investors' money. Um, at that point, for the new investors, it was a very safe deal because they could see the finished product. They could just see the occupancy levels were low, and because of COVID, we weren't remortgaging. Um, so yeah, six six sixty eight plus one hundred and fifty. Um, the old owners were generating 180 thousand a year. We're now making 288. Whoa. Um, So it's quite significant. But then you've got a very big mortgage payment, <laughs> utilities, internet, um, insurance, management, cleaners. It's all our monthly outgoings are about thirteen thousand, fourteen thousand a month.
1: Wow! And what does it profit yeah. you per month at this sort of occupancy at the
0: moment? Um, so at the moment we're making nine, ten grand a month. Um, we've charged lower rents than we could have to get occupancy levels high over the summer and it worked. We changed internet providers and we've now got gigabyte data download and upload um, for up to five or six devices per room, which is awesome and it's not too too expensive for each per room. Um, So advertising that in August when it arrived in September and doing some cheaper rooms, we managed to get fully tenanted um so if we were charging what we want to be charging we'd probably have another three thousand three and a half thousand a month of rental income um and we'll build up to that over the next 12 18 months we'll increase the rents to get up to that level i think that's the plan anyway
1: and what was it revalued at
0: um so just over three million um back so in april this year. Double you,
1: what you yeah you double and so did it pull out all of your money
0: Yes, it became a no money left in deal. We fully repaid all of our investors. We paid ourselves back. We paid interest to everybody. Um, And it's all done and dusted. And it's an amazing feeling in the summer when that happened.
1: (laughs) I mean, yeah, like I'm smiling right now because it's such an incredible deal. Like like everything we've talked about this whole podcast, Mm. I suppose when people listen and they hear the hardship and they hear the reality of it, it's nice to kind of sort of round off on this because people see not, not to say why you do it, there's obviously deeper reasons, but yeah. they see in black and white what makes all of that worth it mm. is the fact that you're getting paid the same as, I don't know, a mid-level investment banker. But yeah. you know, you're not, you know, if you have an agent, you're managing it less. If you manage it yourself, fine different but mm. you do not have a full-time job, right? With yeah. this 48, you know, in however you manage it, you just don't have like a proper full time, or what you doing? Or you come back? It's your lunch break. Work till yeah. ten and knock it. But you're getting paid, you know. Say it was just one, but you're getting paid six figures plus from hmm. one asset that's worth yeah. three million. Now, I, you know, people listening, what else do you need? You know? <laughs> I mean, because I can see how the Bentley fits in there for me, and then hmm. I can see the shopping, and then I. So for me, like I can see that amount. And personally, I would say if I did one of those, like when I started out that's enough. Like yeah. after that, I would just be doing other funky stuff in property or like, and even better, it gets better. You put none of your own money in. It mm-hmm. was on market, right? Oh, remember, yeah. Oh, there's no deals on right move. People <laughs> who say that, if you think that, listen, you're listening to me sharp. Yeah, you're wrong. Clearly. And um, it was on the market. You didn't put any money in yourself. You pulled all of your money back out. Yeah. And you've got a three million pound asset generating nine to ten, and then eventually, twelve, thirteen k a month yeah. in a prime location. I mean, I don't know what to say. It's <laughs> you know, like this is this is like a a wonder deal. This is the kind of deal that people hear about, but they don't believe it's real. But you've done it, and it is in um, your edition of YPN magazine that you're in, so people can go read about it, see the pictures. Yeah. you know see it again it's also on your website um what an incredible incredible deal um Thanks. that's i mean what and then to add to it you've purchased the freehold
0: yes yes there's been a reason i've done nothing else property wise the last two and a half years because this one's been all consuming um when we completed the refinance in the summer i think it was june this 2021 that the refinance completed. Um, it took us until September, um, early September, we completed on the freehold for the building. So we bought the two commercial units on the ground floor and the freehold for the building. Um, so that's increased the cash flow with the commercial units.
1: Oh, so you're keeping the commercial units just yeah. as commercial to increase cash flow, basically?
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. On, on separate lending, um, we bought, bought it with a bridge, because one commercial unit is empty. We've just signed a tenancy at the start of this month for a new um, tenant to move into there on a commercial ten nine or 10 year lease. And then we've got another tenant who's been in there for 10 years. And we're just negotiating with them to increase their or renew their tenancy when it runs out in a couple of months. Um, so we're, in February or March, we'll switch on to a commercial mortgage, which I'm expecting to be about 1,000, 1,500 a month. And then we we'll are probably cash, probably net two and a half, three K a month um, from the rest of it.
1: I mean, you know, you said you haven't done anything else in property of two and a half years. Why yeah. do you need to? You know what I mean? That's, that's, <laughs> that's my question because like, it just, it makes sense. Like, mm. I suppose it's like, look, someone could buy five, seven beds or whatever, do the maths or a couple of bites less and a couple less, and And it would equal what you've done maybe in terms of income, portfolio mm. value, blah, blah, blah but it's quite nice to sort of have it all in one unit and now you've got the freehold and you've got commercial. So you're diversifying your portfolio and it's a town center location. And yeah, I just, I love this deal. Honestly, it's probably one of the most (laughs) interesting and actually probably one of the best figures I've had on this whole podcast It's 220 episodes I've done. Yeah. Um, that wasn't a new build. Obviously new, but is mm. a totally different game. We yes. Yeah. That. Different base um, completely like, but for what you, and the fact that you didn't do a back to brick, but like refurb, you did a update and upgrade. Mm. I think, I mean, there's so much people can take from this, but you know, it's on the market, no money in, all money out. It's your third deal. You had the right yeah. people around you. You did the right education. I mean, there's lots of um, signs here or precursors to your success that I hope people have picked up as we've gone through this podcast, because everything you've said mm. for you is normal. It's part of your business is what we do, <laughs> but, you know, but actually people listening who are new to this are going to be thinking, you know, you need to take notes of certain things that Richie's done to kind of get to this stage. So mm. um, as we reach the end of the podcast, you know, we're pretty much at the recording this at the end of 2021. Um, yeah. What are your sort of top-level goals or plans for
0: 2022? So we've been looking at a couple of blocks of flats um, and some large HMOs again. Now that we've got the marples under our belt, we've got the credibility and the experience to stay at that level. And I'd like to try and stay at that level with some bigger deals next year. But I'll also, I want some boring, simple, cash-flowing assets, i.e. some simple single lets as well, just because they're so much less risky and so easy. Um, so we'll look at maybe one or two blocks of flats and, uh, and buy some single lets as well. We're talking about a portfolio of 45, 50 single lets. Um, so we might try and get that on a purchase lease option. That's what we're trying to do with that one. Um, and there's a couple of blocks of flats we're talking about as well.
1: I mean, That would be pretty epic because... yeah single efforts are so slow as we know Mm. um if i had to buy 40 again or like i bought 15 quickly but if i had to buy 40 like it would just be the end of me so (laughs) you know it's it's smart what you're doing and it makes sense you've tasted and you've you've experienced what i suppose we all kind of look to do which is like the bigger projects which give you Mm -hmm. more cash flow less headache potentially um in (laughs) one in one kind of thing there's no reason to kind of by one at a time now like it, it just, it's a natural progression I feel so um, Richie thank you so much honestly this was definitely an interesting podcast for me um yeah, good. and, and to, to hear about deals like this because they are out there so mm. people I know the market right now is crazy and will probably continue to be crazy <laughs> don't fret um because Richie's out here getting deals so what are you all doing <laughs> no I'm kidding sort of so Richie uh, where is the best place for people to get a hold of you if they want to just see what you're up to or have a chat
0: um just drop me an email um i, I think i've got sent you my email and stuff so um just, yeah drop me an email and we'll arrange a chat and have a conversation
1: i will put richie's website and email address and everything in the show notes um but richie all that's left for me to do is to say thank you so much for coming on the tech talks podcast
0: thank you very much for having me i really enjoyed our chat if you like this podcast connect with Tej on facebook linkedin and youtube for more great content